You're listening to audio from Kingsway Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit kingswaychurch.org. Who likes to win? Yeah, see, all kinds of hands. All right, I want you to think right now about a time where you've won something in your life. Maybe it's uh, a team that you follow. They win the championship. Maybe it's one of your kids' teams. Maybe it's, uh, you know, if it's anything like my house, if you just owned your 10 or 12-year-old in Monopoly on family game night, then you run around the house declaring yourself the victor, right, or the neighborhood and letting them know, okay? And so, but I want you to think of that moment, what it feels like to win, and I've, I've got some pictures here to help us today, all right? So we're gonna run through these. Who, uh, who remembers that moment, right? Come on, it's in Indianapolis. I'm a Hoosier, all right? Okay, and notice that's not the Super Bowl, that's the AFC Championship when we beat the Patriots. That was really like the Super Bowl, right? You know? Okay, let's look at this next picture. Okay, this is North Carolina. Okay, if you know anything about me, that's, that's my team, so sorry. I'm a little partial to that, but that's when they won their last championship, one of many, I might add. Okay, so you see, and who can forget, no, you can go on, yeah. Who can forget this moment right here? Right, I'm not even a Cubs fan, but that was a beautiful, beautiful moment in sports history when they erased the drought that they had been on. Okay, go to the next one. The greatest, okay, I said it here, okay. All right, the greatest of all time. You can see, just look at the look on his face. He's worked so hard for that moment right there to, to feel what it feels like to be a winner. Okay, I got one more, I think. Yep, and then who can forget Jimmy V, 1983, the year I was born actually, but when he won the NCAA championship, he runs onto the floor, hugging anybody that'll hug him, lifting him up, okay? If you've ever seen that video, it's, it's an incredible experience of what, of what winning looks like, right? You've set a goal, you've set out to accomplish something, and then it comes to fruition. But what about, what about loss, right? What about feeling that overwhelming agony of defeat, Okay, and, I've, and I've, I've got some pictures to drive this point home too. So let's look, let's look at a few of these. I love, I, I, mean, I don't love the picture, but I mean, especially if, I don't, I'm not a big Michigan fan, but look at the look on his face. As the confetti's coming down, the national championship, I think Louisville won that year, and just distraught. Okay, go to the next one. Okay, this is from Olympics, I think, about 15 years ago. Okay, just the overwhelming agony of what it means to, you know, again, set a goal, but to not reach it, to come this close, but just to end up so short, go to the next one. This is Jordan Spieth on one of his several uh, collapses at a Masters. <laughs> Sorry, I really like him, but he's, he's done it several times. Okay, go to the next one. I'm not sure exactly the story, but I know that something happened right at the beginning. And so imagine for this, I don't even know this lady's name, but she works her whole life, gets to that moment and the start of the race and everything collapses, right? Okay, I think I got one more. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna leave that right there. Okay, so winning and losing. What does this have to do with the iceberg, the tip of the iceberg that we're walking through? What does what does the Bible actually say about this? Well, we're going to jump into that today. But I want to pray and I want to invite God into this space, and then and then we'll we'll jump right in to what God has for us. God, we love you. We thank you, God, so much for the God that you are. God, we thank you that we can, uh, God, laugh and joke and, 
and God, but also dive into your word today. God, no matter what any of these folks walked in here today, God, even myself, God, whatever baggage, whatever weight, whatever anxiety, whatever, whatever's going on in our mind right now, God, I pray that we can just tuck that under the seat wherever we are, and we, God, we can open up our hearts and minds to you, to what you have for us as we look and dive into your scriptures, into the word of God, and say, God, what does it mean to win in life, God? And, and uh, God, what do you want to show us today? And God, if there's folks in the room that don't know you today, God, may you, may you open up their hearts and minds. God, maybe they don't even know, they're not, they're not for sure about this church, this God, this Jesus thing. God, I pray that, that they will receive your love and grace today. And uh, we trust it all to you. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Well, church, if we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Brett Cadwell. I'm the executive pastor here at Kingsway. And I truly am honored to get to do what I do every day. And I get to lead our ministry, lead our staff. And, uh, and it is just uh, an incredible honor. And, you know, I'm, I'm so proud of you all as the church, as we've walked through one of the hardest seasons maybe in our history. And, um, and, and, and you know, being the leader of this church, uh, we, we're not a perfect church, Right? And we never claim to be. You watch the news enough, no matter what news station you watch, and they'll try to tell you that the church was created out of perfection, but it's actually the opposite. And so, uh, you know, we're created, you know, we're here because we're broken, sinful people that need a savior, right? And so, uh, you know, Matt has done a great job these last four weeks walking us through this tip of the iceberg series, looking at what does it mean to, you know, to really look at what is underneath the surface, right? He's walked through, you know, last week he had a great sermon on, on forgiveness, right? But, but at the beginning of the this, this sermon series, you, we talked about, you know, there's this stuff underneath the surface. There's these things deep within us, right? And it's, and it's this, you know, the, our heart, our, our mind, our soul that, you know, these things that have, you know, been, that have happened to us and it impacts us, right? Our behaviors, our actions, our decisions, our reactions, the picture that we paint each day with the way that we behave, with the way we talk, the way we interact with each other, it's just an overflow, right, of what's happening within us, right? That's, that's kind of the crux of this whole series. And, and that stuff that's going on underneath the surface, some of it is our responsibility. Some of it's even, you know, probably our fault or, or we are to blame, but some of it's just not, right? And either it's, it's just the way it, it's just the way it is, and it's impacting our everyday. It's impacting our every interaction. It's impacting our every conversation. We've talked about the importance of getting our heart right and how every word that comes out of our mouths is really just an overflow of the heart. We look at, Matt walked us through scripture that said that, and so we want to show the world our best, right? That, that 10% that we show to the world that's above the surface, that's impacted by everything down below, we wanna look like a winner, right? We, wanna, we want the world to see us as a champion. I love that song that we just sang today. I love the words of it. We want, we want to be a champion. But what's the difference between a winner and a loser? No one plans to lose. No one that you just saw on that screen intended to lose. Everyone sets a goal in order to win, but sometimes we fall short. Nobody plans to go to the Super Bowl and then come runner-up or make it to the World Series and just to fail in game seven. Nobody does that. Winners and losers both set goals, chase after those goals, but not all win. So what's the difference? 
Let's look at what the Bible says. We're gonna be looking in 1 Corinthians today. 1 Corinthians is about three-fourths of the way through your Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter nine, chapter nine, verse 24. We're gonna start there. And if you can follow along in your Bible, or it should be on the screens for you behind me. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. Okay, we're gonna stop there. See, Paul is painting a picture for us, right? He's painting a picture of this life as a race. He's challenging the Christians at Corinth, who he wrote this letter to, and he's challenging us here today in the room as a believer, as someone who has placed their faith in Jesus, as you're walking through this thing called life, he's saying live your life to win. Do it with everything you have. Do it with a purpose. Don't get to the end of your life and wonder where the time and the fleeting moments went. You really, but we really need to dig into the life of Paul to understand why he gets to this moment in 1 Corinthians 9 when he says what he says, because he said a bunch of stuff throughout the whole book. And he gets to this and he says, you know, if you're gonna run, run to win. And you see, here's the thing with Paul. Paul knew his mission and we have to know ours. You have to know your mission. See, Paul had a mission in life and it consumed him every single day. Every day. As you read the first nine chapters and you get up to verse 24 in chapter nine, Paul's mission is crystal clear. He wakes up every day to share the good news with the world. And if you look at the, even the words in those first nine chapters, good news is written all over the pages because it keeps coming back to him. It's, it's what drives him. It's what cons, con, he's consumed with it. He's obsessed with it. But that wasn't always his mission. At one point, his mission was to destroy the very good news that he now lives for. We find this in Acts 9. We're gonna jump around a little bit today. Acts 9, verse one, just follow along, says, meanwhile, Saul, which was another name for Paul, he used those interchangeably, was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Okay, and right after this in Acts 9, if you continue reading, you see Paul sends, he actually sends letters to the churches in Damascus, to the synagogues, and he lets them know that he's coming, and he's coming for anyone who is following the way, is what the Bible says, which is the movement of Jesus that was sweeping through the nation, right? And the Bible says that he wanted, this is, this is what the Bible says, he wanted to bring back men and women in chains. But then one day, on a country road, the Lord shows up and his life is literally turned upside down. He went from killing Christians to teaching them what the gospel had just transformed in him. He was literally living out the good news that he had just experienced and that he was just killing people for only moments, moments earlier, weeks, months earlier. And I love it because we see a man that woke up every day with a hate so deep in his heart for Christians that he rose to kill them. That's what he thought about, to put an end to their movement, but God transformed everything. And friends, that's what the good news does, right? If, that's, if you're here and you follow Jesus, that's part of your story and you've had the, that moment in your life when you look back at everything that was and then you look at who you are now and you know you're not perfect because you know about what was, but you're, but you're transformed today and the good news will do that and it's why I get up every day to do 
what I do. Paul knew his mission. He knew what a win looked like and every day of his life was, dedicating, was dedicated to bringing that win to life. Paul knew at some point his life was gonna come to an end and he wanted to be remembered as a missionary, not a killer of Christians. And I learned this early in ministry that your mission has to be clearly defined, preferably written down and looked at, and looked at often and you must remind yourself of it often because you're reminding yourself really of your why. Why? Why do you do this? Why do you write it down? Because life happens. Marriage happens. Kids happen. Jobs happen. Distractions happen. Job change happens. Sin happens. Conflict happens. Things that come that take your eye off of Jesus, that take your eye off of the mission. And early in ministry, I had some great mentors that came alongside my life, and they really encouraged me to, to write my own personal mission statement. It's morphed and grown over time, but I wanna share it with you today. It's, it's this thing called a daily map, and, and it's, I don't have it in, in on paper form, but I have it on the backdrop of my computer, and I look at it every day, as long as I'm not overwhelmed with all the things on top of my computer, and then I, then I probably need to look at it, right? And so it says this. The top of the, it's split in half, and on one side is my personal mission statement and goals, and on the other side is ministry and talking about you know, what we're trying to do here at Kingsway. Okay, and so on my personal side, it says at the very top, it says mission, God, others, self. And then it says this statement, I will live passionately, boldly, and intentionally for Christ. I will humbly and courageously share him with those who don't know him. I will help those in need, teach those who are seeking, lead those who are lost, listen to those who are hurting, and love all. And trust me when I say this, there has been days in my life Seasons in my life where I have strayed so far from those words. Where I get up and self is first and God is a distant last, right? And even reading that out loud to you today, I just created some incredible accountability for myself, right? To live like that. And at different times throughout my life, I've wondered and I've kind of woke up to this idea when I go back and I look at that statement, how I ended up so far from that mission, and I have to figure out how to correct course. And I know I'm not gonna hit the mark every day, but it makes my mission clear, right? I know I've defined what a win looks like. I've defined what it means to run to win. And if I get to the end of my life and my family, my friends, my teammates, those that I've done ministry with, gather together and they can say, you know what, Brett lived boldly for Jesus. He, he sought to lead those who were lost. He loved well. Then I've won. What about you? Do you know what your mission is? What would those that are close to you say about why you get up every day? Would they know, would they be able to verbalize the, the legacy that you wanna leave? Okay, I'm getting pretty deep and I'm pushing some buttons early today. And you may be thinking, Brett, that's, that's overwhelming. That's a huge undertaking. Because really the mission of our lives is really what, what we hope the world sees at the top of our iceberg, right? It's, it's what we hope bubbles to the surface, but oftentimes it's not. Oftentimes, you know, we, we, the world sees our, our junk and our hurt and our pain and our missteps. So what do we do? Well, Paul knew that too, and he lived it. He lived it. So he didn't stop in verse 24. He goes on, chapter nine, 1 Corinthians, verse 25, it says, all athletes are disciplined in their training. 
They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. Other versions of this says, I am not just shadow boxing. I am not, I am not aimlessly living. I'm not living without aim. I discipline my body like an athlete, training to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. You see, you have to know your mission in order to run to win. But Paul also knew that winning is built on your training. Winning is built on your training. Paul says that all athletes are disciplined. Why? So that they run with purpose in every step. You see, Paul knew what he was capable of. He knew what sin did when it crept in his life. He knew where he had been. He knew fully where he had been. The secrets that he probably had never told anyone. Just like an athlete, you think, you think every Olympian wakes up and just can't wait to run, lift, train every day to get to that moment. No, but we don't see any of that. We just see the race at the Olympics. We don't get, a, we don't get to be a part of how they got there. And they don't, they don't rise and, and dine to, to train and lift and to get better. Why? Because they're human. They lose sight of the goal. Our eyes get distracted. We forget our why. We get selfish. We get lazy. We get apathetic. We take our eyes off the prize. We lose sight of the mission. Hard stuff in life happens. And a lot of times, that hard stuff is not even our fault. We lose a job unexpectedly. A relationship starts to crumble. Our fear starts to overwhelm us. Can anybody speak to that in the last six months? And Paul knew this. And so we look at Romans 7. This is Paul speaking. He says, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me. For I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. We are human. We have the best intentions, but we must be disciplined. We must train ourselves how to react when sin creeps in. Paul goes on to say this in Romans 7, continuing. He says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't, do, I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. He says, I have discovered the principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what, I, what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? And this is my favorite part. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And this is the thing. Sin is real. It causes disaster, devastation, confusion in our life. Is there not some confusion in our world right now? But sin and death were overcome by Jesus 2,000 years ago. And we're no longer bound by that sin. But sin never stops pursuing us. Our enemy is constantly coming at us. He wants nothing more than to focus on our sin. He wants nothing more for us to start to allow that sin to become our identity. The enemy wants that you know, he wants us to look at that iceberg and look at all that underneath and, and know and believe that it's too big to do anything about. 
that it's too consuming. But that's not what God says. And that's not what the Bible says. I mean, Paul says it, we just read it. We must run with purpose in every step. But sin never lets up and it never quits. But our God is stronger. And I want you to hear these words from Jesus in Matthew 5. This is from the message. And I love, I love this phrasing of the words that Jesus spoke. Speaking to his disciples, he says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care at the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for, and this is the best part, you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart, that that's below the surface, put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. So if we wanna win, we must train our hearts, our minds, our bodies to know what to do. So how do we do that? I'm gonna spend the last few minutes we have together today talking about that. So how do we train ourselves? Well, if winning is built on training, then training is built on our habits. Yeah, I said the H word. Habits. But I want to change the way that you think about habits today. You see, scientifically, habits have been tied to success or failure. Good habits tied to success, bad habits tied to failure. That might sound, that's not, that's not earth shattering today, but, but, it's, but scientifically, they've done this. And, and Craig Groeschel has spent a lot of time talking about this great leader, great pastor. He coined this phrase, and I love it. He says, successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. And the way that I think about habits has changed as I've walked through this book. I've had to change some things in my own life. And it changed with one book that I read called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Okay, this is a little bit, there's some self-help in this book. And so you gotta mix this, the, the principles of this book and some ideas that it gives you to, to make some changes in your life with the gospel, okay? The gospel changes our lives. This helps us, okay? It's a help, it doesn't replace the gospel in any way, okay? But one of the main premises of the book is built on the idea that James says this, every action you take is a vote for the type of person you want to become. Every action you take as a vote for the type of person you want to become. So as you train, as you build your habits, every decision, every action you take in a day, and you make thousands of them every single day, every one of them is a vote for the person you want to become. Every vote, every action sets the trajectory of where your life is headed a month, a year, a decade from now. And so what James is saying is he's striving, striving to build habits that lead to getting 1% better every day. You hear coaches say this all the time. Coach Reich from the Colts says this all the time in press conferences. We're just trying to get 1% better every day. Let's get 1% better every day. And here's the thing. In the beginning, there is basically no difference between making a choice that is 1% better or 1% worse. In other words, it doesn't impact you very much today. But as time goes on, those small improvements or declines compound upon each other. And then years down the road, we find ourselves in drastically different places. James says this later in the book, if you get 1% better each day for one year, you'll end up 37 times better by the time you're done. And he puts this little graph, I think we have it today, he puts this graph in his book so you can see the trajectory, okay? In the beginning, 
There's not much difference. But in a year's time, you get 37 times better. That's why small choices don't make much of a difference at the time, but they add up over the long term. You see, because if you're anything like me and you've been walking through this series, God has done a great job of this in this series. You start to sit back and you evaluate that iceberg. You start to sit back and evaluate what's underneath the surface. And those failures start to add up and the enemy starts to whisper. And you start to become convinced that you are your failures. You are what's under the surface and you don't know how to really change it. And somehow your identity is wrapped up in that and you throw your hands up and you may say something like, well, that, man, that's just how God wired me. Things will never change. I can't do this. I don't, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to change. But that's not true, church. That's not true. It's not the God I know. It's not how God wired you. Because we see God transform lives every day, just like we saw God transform Paul's life. And when we begin to transform our hearts, then our lives change, then all of a sudden our iceberg starts to change. We start to do those smallest of actions every day. Little chunks start to, to fall off. And those chunks get bigger over time and then all of a sudden we're five, 10 years down the road and things look very different. But it starts by the smallest of actions today. And you see, these actions can be almost anything, but I want to suggest three for you today, quickly, as we wrap up. Three habits for you to consider. Habit number one, make community a habit. Church, we are not created to do this life alone. I don't care what the world tells you. I'm speaking especially to the men like me in the room. You want to try to convince yourself that you can do it all, that you don't need anybody that's a dangerous game to play. Church, we right now are in a place where we have not been in, in our, as far as our groups and the community that is involved at Kingsway, that we have not been in a long time. We literally have leaders that are waiting for people to join the groups. It's a great problem to have. But if, that, if I'm speaking to you today and you have struggled with this idea of community, I wanna encourage you to make community a habit. It's gotta be something that you do consistently, not occasionally. Because, I mean, like it says in Proverbs, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, and it's so true. The whole world does not need to know your problems, but, but somebody does. Because there's folks in this church that wanna walk alongside you. It's really why, why it's the, one of the biggest reasons why church is created, why we do what we do, is because we wanna walk alongside each other and not do this thing called life alone, okay? So make community a habit. Habit number two, we've heard a lot about it today. Make serving a habit. Make serving a habit. And I'm not saying this because we need you. We do, but I'm, that's not why I'm saying this. I want you to hear my heart, okay? Because why we serve, we say around here all the time, we serve because we believe it leads to life change. Life change in those that you serve, the kids, the students, putting a smile on your face, even under that mask, as people walk in, might change that person's week. But it also leads to life change in you, right? It leads to life change in you because you're making a decision to take 
your eyes off yourself to do something selflessly and to serve someone else. And in a season where we have been isolated and we have, been, we have had more time to think about ourselves, this might be what you need more than anything in your world is to intentionally give of your time, your talents, your resources, the, the things, the abilities that God has given you to give it back to our church, to your community, wherever it is, but make serving a habit. So make community a habit, make serving a habit, and then I saved the best one for last and probably the most foundational one. And it, it's, not, it, it's not gonna be earth shattering, but it's so important. Make God a habit. You cannot know Jesus, know God, like he wants you to know him by showing up on Sunday every day and hearing some incredible teaching by, from, from Matt and others on this stage. But that is not enough. God wants a relationship with you. Imagine what your relationship would be like if you only, if you only, talked to you, if you only saw your wife once every seven days, wife, spouse, whoever it was. Okay, God wants a relationship, and I did the math Okay, you can check me on this, but 1% of every day is 14.4 minutes. Okay, maybe you don't know where to start. Give God 14.4 minutes. Maybe you don't know what to do. Sit in silence. I know that's weird. Turn the radio off on the way to work, on the, on, on the way that you're driving in the morning. Turn the music down. God, maybe you open up your Bible and just read it and see what God brings Maybe you don't know how to do that. That's why we're here. That's why we exist as a church. We would love to come alongside you and teach you some of the first steps that you could do. Guide you to a study or a book of the Bible that you could walk through. Again, make community a habit and then you got somebody to do that alongside. But at the end of the day, make God a habit. Make community a habit. Make serving a habit. Make God a habit. Probably can't do all of them, but choose one. Choose one. Church, as I close the day, I, I want to be I want I want to be real with you for a second. As we've walked through this season over the last six months, if I was to stand up uh, stand up here on the stage and tell you that it's been easy, that would be a lie. It's been some of the hardest days I've ever known, and I know that's probably true for you. There's been days where. I've sat in my home office for a while in my office here and I've just thrown my hands up and said, God, I don't, I don't know what to do. And God reminded me over and over and over again to just do something, to not sit and be paralyzed, to just take that, do the next right thing, take that next step. And church, here's, here's what I know that if we're a church who's taking one small action every day, what does this church look like a year from now if this church gets 37 times better? What does this community look like if, if it has a church in it that is getting 37 times better? If we're healthier, if we're closer to God, if we turn our eyes off of ourselves and onto our community, we're looking for ways to share the gospel with those that we, we rub shoulders with every day. We get our eyes off ourselves, and we do the smallest of actions every day, but it just starts, it literally starts with today. It's, it's, 
It's so complicated, but at the same time, it is so simple. So I encourage you, I plead with you, and maybe today you're sitting in the room and you have, you have no idea kind of what we're talking about. You came in the door, you, we started singing, you're like, what is happening? Why are all these people singing the same songs? Why does everybody know the words and I don't? Maybe you don't, maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Our connecting will be down front, our connecting will be in the lobby. They want nothing more than to, than to walk alongside that conversation. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to be perfect. Don't listen to that lie that the world and the enemy tells you. We'll walk, we'll walk alongside you. We'll guide you in your next step. Let's pray. God, I'm so thankful for this church. I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for God, that, that we have church. We have this community in a season like right now. God, those that are joining us online, I can't imagine. God, they're, they're probably joining us online for a reason, either out of convenience or because they, they can't gather together yet, God. And so I can't imagine the isolation of some of those folks that are sitting in their homes right now. God, will you wrap their arms around them? God, will you remind us of the truth of, of your gospel, of the truth of what you did in Paul? God, that when, you, when the enemy whispers and, and says, we're not good enough or, or that doesn't apply to me, God, Paul was the, was the worst of the worst. That's what he says. But God, you transformed him. And so God, you exist to transform us. You exist to transform our lives from the inside out to turn our lives on its head, God, and to do something so drastic but awesome in our lives. And God, it begins with, with one small thing today. God, will you help us to win? God, will you help us to run, to win, to not get tired, to not get weary, but to run and run with a purpose. trust you. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen.